Romans chapter 15. For those of you that are either new to our church, relatively new to our church, or maybe visiting today, when I say that today is Bus Emphasis Sunday, you probably scratch your head and say, what in the world does that mean? Um, at White Oak Baptist Church, we have uh, buses that we send into uh, neighborhoods uh, that are generally lower income type neighborhoods, and we pick up boys and girls and teenagers and uh, men and women, and they uh, don't have a ride to church, they don't have transportation to church, and we bring them here. This is a ministry that the previous pastor, Pastor Pezlik, established. Um, I have been involved in the bus ministry with the buses um, since I was born. My, my father was actually driving a bus to pick up boys and girls in Indiana. Uh, he was doing that uh, uh, as an obligation, ministry obligation when I was born. And so just weeks after my birth, my mom had me in a car seat on a bus and uh, riding into Chicago, picking up boys and girls and bringing them on into church. And so this is a common ministry that's been around in uh, like-minded churches of this one for many, many years. Um, I've been a bus captain for probably about half of my life. And all that means is that I was the one in charge of making sure that the boys and girls and men and women got on the bus and were safely brought to church and safely brought home. And so I've had the privilege and honor of doing that. Uh, the last church I worked in prior to coming here was in Hagerstown, Maryland. And I uh, was the bus director there. We had five or six buses that went out every week. It was a larger church. They probably ran 650 to 700 every week. But our buses were responsible for bringing in about 200 people uh, every week. My wife was a bus captain there. Uh, she brought in about 35 or 40 on her bus each week. And so um, uh, uh, when we talk about the bus ministry and uh, Bus Emphasis Sunday, we take one Sunday a year and we make a big deal out of this particular ministry. And so if you stumbled in the door today for the first time or uh, you've only been coming a few weeks and you're not familiar with that ministry, you're going to learn about it today. We're going to educate you. So Romans chapter 15. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Romans 15. You ladies have a good time at that uh, uh, luncheon yesterday? About uh, 30 of you went there and ate some good food over at Gusto's in Milford, and uh, I know that was a great time. Ladies, if you didn't get a chance to go, try to go next year. I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll uh, be glad if you do that. Romans 15, we're going to read responsibly. We're going to do it a little different today. We're going to begin reading together in verse 1, and then I will read the even verses out loud alone. So let's pick up the reading in verse 1. Here we go. Ready? We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but, as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And I want to preach a very simple sermon this morning entitled this, Bearing a Burden with a Bus. Bearing a Burden with a bus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this church uh, that's been around now uh, 37 plus years and the impact it has made in many lives in this community. And Lord, I, I th I'm thankful that you led my family here some year and a half ago or so to work and be a part, co-labor with these wonderful dear folks. And Lord, we look at uh, those 
amongst us that are not strong, Lord, but they're weak. Uh, life has beaten them down, morally, spiritually, physically. And they need those of us that are strong to bear them up. And God, I can't think of another ministry in our church that does that any better than the bus ministry. That bus pulls up in front of houses each week, Lord, of boys and girls who come from broken homes. And Lord, they've been yelled at and hated on in some cases during the week. And they come here and they get the love of Jesus given to them by a bus captain, by a bus worker, by a Sunday school teacher. And Lord, some of those kids, they just look forward to Sunday where they get a break from the pain at home. And God, as we emphasize that ministry today and we look at it, may we be tender in our hearts to your leading and guiding of us so we can know what role it is that we each can play to help that ministry to succeed. Help us today to understand the message and understand the passage. Lord, may your word speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have a whole lot I want to get to in the body of the message this morning, so I'm going to do my best to keep my introductory thoughts brief. Why don't Baptist Church, I, I want to take a few minutes and brag on you. I want to brag on you. Last year, the first Sunday of December was Bus Emphasis Sunday, 2016. I preached a sermon about the Good Samaritan, a very passionate sermon about the uh, underprivileged and how uh, they need to be reached and loved on and how that God has called us to do that. The senior sisters got together after that sermon was preached and they said that while we cannot go out on Saturdays and follow up because it's hard for us to get up and down the stairs and, and around on the icy streets and while we can't drive a bus and while we're not going to sit on the bus and, and uh, encourage a boy or girl in the pew there, what can we do? And so um, one of the senior saints uh, uh, suggested, well, maybe we can help raise some money to buy some new buses. And so into my office they came. Pastor, can we have a tag sale on the front lawn of the church? Can we gather the belongings, the unwanted belongings of our church folks and even maybe some desired belongings they have that they'd be willing to part with? And can we set a date and can we sell those? And those uh, senior saints encouraged many of you and many of you brought your items in. They spent an entire week in our upstairs area felt more like the back room of a Goodwill store than it did a church building. And they were busy tagging things, and uh, we put them all out on the front lawn, and uh, boy, we raised a lot of money. Joan, do you remember exactly how much we raised? Four, it was over 4000 maybe over $5,000 was raised. Um, if I can't remember, I shouldn't expect you to remember. Uh, but it was uh, a lot of money, and we announced we were going to be doing this tag sale, and Many of you just began putting money in the plate toward us buying a new bus. Now, oftentimes, um, uh, I, one of the roles I carry around here is fundraiser. Uh, fundraiser, where I'm trying to raise funds for this or that. I didn't fundraise at all. You all know what a groundswell movement is, right? Uh, where it just begins on the ground floor and begins to grow. Without me pushing or conjoling or encouraging in any way for anybody to give, when, uh, when the, the counting of the last penny was done, we had raised over $32,000 to buy new buses. $32,000. It's a lot of money. With that money, we have purchased two buses that are 2006 model uh, buses that had just rolled off the retirement line from the public schools. And I don't know of a church, I don't know of a church anywhere in America that has buses as new as ours. 
I just don't. I know a lot of churches with bus ministries. Nobody has buses as new as ours. Now, we've been able to take that money and buy two new buses. We also bought a shuttle bus. Some of you that park at the commuter lot have been riding in on that. It's a very nice shuttle bus. We were able to get those two buses painted with that money, and we're in the process of getting them inspected. And very, very, very soon, those two buses will be ready to go and be ready to roll out on the road and pick up boys and girls. Funny enough, right about the time that we're getting ready to get these inspected, the last bus that we had gave up the ghost. And so these buses will be our only option to bring boys and girls to church. Had we not raised that money, we would have been in a very difficult spot with that. Um, So last year as well, on top of raising the money on Bus Emphasis Sunday, we gave out pictures. Uh, Pictures, and we have some here. Uh, how many of you have your picture still that we gave out last year? Would you hold up your hand if you still have that picture? I have mine up in my office hanging right above my computer screen. And this is uh, this one here is Jaden. Um, and then this is Taylor. And I know both of these fine young folks. They've been riding our buses for quite a while there. But uh, I have Dominic up in my office. And uh, I would say probably four or five times a week I look up at that picture and I bow my head and I pray for little Dominic, and I have prayed for Dominic's bus captain, Brother John Sanchez, as well on top of that. And so I would encourage you today at the end of the service uh, that you come and get a new picture for 2017. You put that in a prominent place and you pray for that young person. Through your giving and hard work, the buses have been purchased so that 2018 will be a strong year. My prayer is the strongest year that our bus ministry has ever had. I'd like to take a minute out of our service and honor those who work so hard in our bus ministry. Our bus director is Pastor David Levine, and he puts a lot of work every week. He's the one that's been trying to get these buses up and running. You take it to get to the DMV, how many of you know that there's never just one trip to the DMV? That's just not how that works. And so he's been to the DMV several times, and although these buses are in great shape, uh, the inspector is nitpicking us. And so we're trying to get some really minor things on them uh, squared away so we can get them on the road. But he's been doing a fine job with our bus ministry and making sure that we are legally uh, in, the, in the clear and uh, all of those fronts as well as very organized and very careful with how we take care of each child. Our bus captain, our current bus captain right now is John Sanchez. John, are you in the room? There you are. John's right back here. He's our bus captain and faithful to that every Saturday out visiting his bus route and uh, checking up on those uh, uh, young people and making sure they're coming. Our bus workers that ride the bus weekly, and I hope I'm not missing anybody. If I am, I'm sorry. Don't don't uh, get too upset with me here. I'm doing my best to try to remember everybody. Uh, Elizette Monks has began riding the bus route uh, when she can and being an encouragement to those that ride the bus. And Mike Surrett will ride our bus uh, 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 regularly as well. Our bus class teachers, those boys and girls come in, and uh, they uh, go up and they join a class or junior church. Sherry Proust teaches the kindergarten, the little ones. And then Mike Scarpetti and Melissa Verone work uh, with our teenagers. Pastor Dave has the children in with our, uh, the other children that come. And so they're the ones that faithfully teach those young folks how thankful we are for their investment in our bus ministry. Currently, we have about 30 boys and girls, teenagers and adults that come very consistently. And i got to say that uh, they are probably, the 30 or so that ride, they're probably the most faithful church members we have. They are here every week. You go by and visit them, you're going to be there tomorrow? Yep, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. And they get up and they ride and they're very faithful. And i got to say that I've gotten to know many of them. I've gone out on the bus route and visited them. And I'm just so thankful for those that ride. Now, now that we have two buses, the plan is to begin another bus route. 
And um, um, is my wife in here? Did she slip in? Yeah, she's back here. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and get in trouble here. Okay, my wife, who's been involved in the bus ministry in the past, she's going to begin a new bus route very very soon, and so uh, she's probably gonna step down from her role in the choir so that she can uh, effectively uh, uh, be a bus captain. And I got to tell you that when my wife was a bus captain at our previous church, I basically did not have a wife on Saturday. She was busy visiting her bus route, texting and calling and getting hold of the families. And uh, you'd see her staring off into nowhere. You ask her, what are you thinking about? She's thinking about uh, one of her riders that's having a tough time or uh, some need or somebody who hasn't come in a few weeks and what she can do to, to reach them. So my wife is going to begin a bus route. This is her uh, doing and uh, her desire. So the future of our ministry is, is very, very bright. Now, uh, this morning, let me uh, kind of come back around after talking about the health of our bus ministry, where we're at in the future ahead. Let me talk to you directly today about how you can help us uh, in this ministry. I propose that many Christians are far too comfortable in their daily living. They are too busy pleasing themselves to worry about the weak around them. We have large masses of people in the greater uh, Stratford, Bridgeport, New Haven area that are broken because of generations of sin. What they need are Christians to set aside their busy schedules and their comfort living and help show them the love of Jesus. That's what we need. Through the message this morning, my prayer is that several of you will have your heart stirred to hop on a bus and help bear the burden of someone who is weaker than you are. We're going to look today at five, uh, uh, five truths out of Romans 15 as we consider this concept of uh, on this bus minister Sunday of bearing a burden with a bus. I'd encourage you to get a pen and piece of paper out and to take copious notes. Take down a lot of notes as we go over this this morning. Notice number one, notice the classifications. The classifications. Look with me there, and letter A is the strong. The strong. Look with me there at uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse number one. It says there, uh, let's read those first five words out loud together. Ready? We then that are strong. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. So, uh, and not to please ourselves. So, we then that are strong. Many of you here today, you are in a strong position in your life. And let me give you a few areas of strength that you have. Uh, financial strength. Uh, you're able to afford a mortgage or the rent payment. Uh, you're able to afford a car payment. You're even able to take your spouse out to get a hamburger occasionally. Now, I understand that I'm not speaking to everyone. And some of you in here, uh, some of these won't uh, won't fit you. Probably nobody is strong in all the areas I'm going to read. And if you are, man, then you are really uh, who I'm talking to today. But uh, stop and think about this. Uh, if you live here and you have uh, a, a nice apartment or a nice home and you have a, a little bit of cash flow and you have a bank account and you're able to get the bills paid and, and, and move through, then God has put you in a place where you're financially strong. Now, I believe many of you in here today probably even have what we label as a rainy day fund. A rainy day fund. You've saved up enough money to where if you were laid off from your job or uh, you were not able to, to bring in that support, for at least three to six months or longer, you would be able to cover the bills. And so, financial strength. I wrote down this one as well under the strong. Relational strength. Relational strength. Now, some of you in here have been married to the same person for 30 plus years, 20 plus years. How many of you here have been married 20 years or longer? If you would raise your hand for me. 
Alright, there's a good chunk of you there. I would call that relational strength. Now, that doesn't mean your marriage is perfect. Right? Some of you here almost killed your husband on the way into church this morning. If you've been married that long, that shows relational strength. Some of you here, um, uh, while you might have a spat with a uh, relative or a boss, uh, sometimes that is the exception to the rule and not the rule. God has given you, through principles and godly living, He's given you relational strength. How about emotional strength? Emotional strength. Now, we all have a bad day, don't we? Here or there. Alright? We call that waking up on the wrong side of the bed. Right? Call that an Oscar the Grouch day. Okay? We all have those bad days occasionally. Um, But I would say that for some people, most days are bad days and only some days are good days. And if you're at a place in your life where most days are good days emotionally, you're emotionally stable, and you only have a bad day here or there, or only have small seasons of bad days, then God has gifted you, given you emotional strength. The uh, last area of strength I wrote down here is strong in principles. Strong in principles. I hope that you live your life by principles. Not situational ethics. Right? Where you, um, you make a decision based on the moment. Or based on the outcome. Um, guys, you ought to be faithful to your wife. Period. It's a principle. Well, my wife has not been faithful to me. Doesn't matter. Well, my wife is not taking care of my needs. It doesn't matter. You're faithful. Why? Because it's a principle in your life. Ladies, you're faithful to your husband. Period. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he's running around on you. You're faithful to him. Uh, it doesn't matter that uh, he doesn't cherish you the way you think he ought to, and he doesn't love you the way he ought to. You're faithful to him. Why? Because it's not, you're not judged on the way he behaves, you're judged on the way you behave. And that's a principle in your life. Uh, you don't cheat on your taxes ever. Now, let me hit on this one now because tax season's coming, alright? And uh, you're not looking for loopholes. Not looking for loopholes. You're careful about that. And it's a principle that guides your life. I could spend the next three hours talking about principles. You get the idea here. And uh, some of you here today, you're strong in principles. Now, all of us could be stronger financially. All of us could be stronger uh, relationally. All of us could be stronger emotionally. And all of us could be stronger in our principles. But uh, looking at the classifications there, Romans 15.1 says, We then that are strong. That are strong. Okay? Let her be noticed the weak. The weak. Look back there at verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the, notice the language here, bear the infirmities of the weak. The infirmities of the weak. Notice the Bible describes the problems that accompany a weak person as infirmities or sicknesses. Many of those who ride our buses are abused. Now, not all. Not all. Let me be clear to say we have boys and girls that come from homes where mom and dad love them and cherish them and take care of them. Just like you love and take care and cherish your children. Being in the bus ministry as many years as I have been involved with it, both directing, being a captain. Uh, I can remember being a little boy before my voice had changed and deepened. Uh, My dad was driving a bus. He was working two bus routes at the time. And uh, uh, we picked up some rough kids um, out of the James Street Apartments in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And they're back there and they're slapping each other and just being, you know, being kids and my dad says to me, I'm like 11 years old, go back and tell those teenagers to sit down. 
And so I go back there, you all need to sit down right now. I'm this little white kid with a tie. There are all a bunch of uh, black kids back there. And, you all need to sit down right now. And they just look at me and laugh, right? And they, they didn't want to listen to me. Uh, so I've been involved in the bus ministry from uh, a young age. And I've got to tell you, I have seen some horror stories. Some horror stories. Angela picked up uh, um, uh, some kids for a long time in Hagerstown. And um, shortly after we moved here, we saw the news that uh, the mom, who was living as a lesbian in a relationship, uh, the mom tried to burn the house down with her kids inside while they slept. Lit a mattress on fire. Lit a mattress on fire. She was arrested for that. Now, that's an extreme story, but i got to tell you that that story isn't all that uncommon. All that uncommon. I'm talking about, I'm talking about homes that are physically abusive. Now, I want you to think of this in terms of a child. You grow up in a home and you are hit out of anger, slapped across the mouth. Pushed on the ground. Bruises all over you. You're treated that way from the time you're little. I'm talking about kids that are emotionally abused. They, uh, they, watch, they, wa- they, they watch mom and dad uh, separate and divorce. And then they watch as mom brings in uh, a new boyfriend after new boyfriend. And, and that boyfriend drinks and comes home and cusses them out. And pushes them around and takes advantage of them. Listen, it's enough of an emotional, it's, it's emotionally damaging enough to know that your, your biological dad is not in your life and not taking care of you. But uh, when, uh, when on top of all that, you have all these emotional abuses that are happening to you on a regular basis. I mean it. For some of the boys and girls that climb on our bus, they get on the bus and they come here, and it's really the first time someone all week has talked to them in a loving tone. First time. First time somebody sat down and asked them, how their day was at school, how their week went at school, and, and what's going on in their life. It's the first time that some of them hear that. And uh, i got to tell you, I've walked through malls and Walmarts enough to see some mother yell at her kids, and I want to grab the woman by the shoulders and shake her and say, do you hear your own tone? You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Can you hear how that just by telling your child to put the candy back down you are basically, through your tone, communicating that child, I hate you. I hate you. Emotional abuse. There are kids who are sexually abused. You think, oh, pastor, that doesn't happen. It happens a whole lot more than we, wish, than we, would, we want to admit. Fondled, molested, raped. Mom's boyfriend or some uncle or some stepbrother. It happens all the time happens all the time. Probably, and I haven't gone and asked, I haven't investigated, but in my experience with bus ministries, probably half of those that get on our buses have been sexually harassed or abused in some way at some point. I'm talking about social abuse. Social abuse. Through tone and coarse language. When I was uh, working a bus route in Chicago little girl named Ina, 14 years old, had a, had a baby. We went visit her in the hospital. And I can remember walking by her house. Ina lived at home with her parents, or rather with her mom and mom's boyfriend. And Ina had brought this newborn child home. And I'm walking up to the house, and there's rap music blaring out of the window. You could hear it several houses away. 
every other word was a uh, filthy, explicitive curse word. And there that newborn infant is laying in his crib. Not more than two or three weeks old. This is being blared into his ear. Social abuse. Now, I hope what I have done through that breakdown of abuse is I hope I have created a spirit of sympathy within you. You know what we can be guilty of if we're not careful? I'm talking about middle class, whether you're lower middle class, true middle class, or upper middle class. What we can be guilty of is looking at the guy who robs the convenience store and thinking, you sleazeball. Looking at the guy who stands on his back porch and smokes pot and think, don't you know what you're doing to your family? Do you understand that if you had grown up in a crib hearing the hearing explicit, explicit curse words in your ear from birth, you were fondled, molested, or raped, you were slapped across the mouth, and you were emotionally abused through watching broken relationship after broken relationship, can you understand maybe why they grow up and behave the way they do? Can you understand that a little bit better? I, I really believe it's time that those that are strong get down off their high horse and quit being so judgmental of everyone else around you. If you had grown up through their shoes, maybe you would be infirmed with their weaknesses the way they are. What they have is a sickness of their soul. And it gets passed down generation to generation. Some of you in this service this morning can be classified as strong. Some of you in here this morning can be classified as weak. You might have listened to me describe the strong and think, oh, I'm not that. But after I have described the weak, maybe you understand a little bit more about how strong you actually are. So number one, we look at the classifications. Number two, we look at the commandment. The commandment. Paul, through the inspiration of God, begins this chapter by telling us that there are the strong and the weak. Then he lays out some commandments for the strong and how they are to handle the weak. Let me give these, uh, let me give these subpoints here together before I give you any commentary. Letter A, notice the commandment to love your neighbor. Romans 15.2, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. So, there's a commandment to love your neighbor. Letter B, notice the commandment to deny your own comfort. The commandment to deny your own comfort. Look back at verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Not to please ourselves. So, um, so we, we have a commandment here to love our neighbor. Right? That's the second greatest commandment. We all know that one. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first commandment is what? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then commandment two, love thy neighbor as thyself. So this is being reiterated by Paul in verse 2 of Romans 15 that we are to love our neighbor. We are to edify our neighbor. And then uh, uh, letter B, we are to deny our own comfort. And I believe that the two work hand in hand. They work hand in hand. You cannot effectively love your neighbor if you're not willing to deny your own comfort. You understand me this morning? To the degree that you deny your own comfort, to that same degree, 
you give yourself room to love your neighbor. There are a lot of people who are fanatical about a lot of things. That word fan comes short from the word fanatical. Fanatical. How about sports fans? I watched a little bit of college football last night. And I turned on the TV and I was watching the Clemson-Miami game. And I saw somebody there in the stands. Uh, It was a man. And he had his shirt off. And this half of his body was painted green. And this half of his body, from the chest up, uh, was painted orange. I call that being a fanatic. Beyond that, he had like an eight or nine year old daughter with him. And half of her face was painted green. And half of her face was painted orange. That's called being a fan, right? I've heard stories of people that go to Lambeau Field, and that's in uh, uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and it's like 20 below zero, and you've got these big 300-pound guys, they got their shirts off and the cheese on their head, and they're going nuts. And man, uh, I, I, one guy told the story about being there. He had, uh, was a, a Bible college student, and he escaped on a Sunday, shame on him, and uh, went to a football game, and uh, uh, ditched ditch college, ditched church, all that. And uh, he was there, he said, man, I had 14 layers of clothes on, it was like 20 below zero, up in the uh, upper deck and these guys had no shirt on man they had cheese on their head he said about halfway through the game i got up pretending like i was going to go to the bathroom and the guy looked at me and said you better not be going anywhere you better come back or i'm going to find you i call that being a fanatic there are those that are fanatic about interior decorating interior decorating uh, some of you ladies, man, you can you can step into a room and you can analyze that thing and you figure out what decorations are 20 years old and what decorations are cutting edge and, and how to get that room set up just right so that your living room looks like a magazine. People are fanatical about that stuff. Following it on Pinterest all the time and uh, 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 constantly going shopping in store looking for deals. And, and listen, there is nothing wrong of being, and being a sports fan. There's nothing wrong about being a fanatic about interior decorating. As long as these things are kept uh, in their uh, a proper place, there's nothing wrong with that. Please don't think I'm preaching against this. I'm not. There are those that are fanatical uh, about scrapbooking. One church I was in had a scrapbooking club. And those ladies would get together like the third Friday of every week. And man, you ought to see how serious they were about this. They had their little tackle boxes with all their little things in it. And, and I wanted to go over why they weren't looking and like swap everything around. But I, I wanted to live, right? I didn't want to get shot. I didn't, I didn't want my body to be found in the river the next week. Uh, fanatical about that. There are those that are fanatical about hunting and fishing. And boy, every chance they get, they're out there hunting and fishing and I got a picture this week from a friend of mine in a previous ministry. He sent me a picture of like a nine-point buck that he shot. Man, he was proud of that thing. And uh, uh, He goes hunting all the time. we got hunters in our church, those that go fishing in our church. And nothing wrong with that, but people are fanatical about it. There are people who are fanatical about technology. You know that person at work that as soon as the next iPhone comes out, like they're the first one to have it? These, these are the people that camp outside of the Apple store for three days. And I mean, they, they got everything. And then they're the first one in the door to get that new iPhone. And they'll, they'll spend whatever they got to spend to get it. And uh, fanatics about that stuff. Fanatics about politics. Uh, people that live with Sean Hannity. And, uh, boy, they know the entire lineup on uh, 960. And they can tell you uh, what everybody thinks and where everybody stands. And they can tell you why this guy on this channel uh, isn't uh, very smart with politics. And, man, they, they you ask them their, your, their political opinion, they can give you the rundown. And then I would say insert your personal hobby. 
Because maybe I didn't touch yours. But what is it today that you are a fanatical about? And I'm going to tell you this morning that when we get to heaven, we are not going to be judged on how fanatical we were about these things. God doesn't care if Miami beat Clemson or Clemson beat Miami. He doesn't care. God doesn't care about how many scrapbooks you assemble. He's not going to ask you a single question about how many deer you shot or how many fish you caught. He's not going to ask you about how expensive your cell phone was and and, and what it was able to do. He's not going to care about who is president of what when you get to heaven and you stand before Him. And He's not going to care about your personal hobby. However, He is going to care about how fanatical you were about helping your neighbors around you that are weak. He is going to care about that, and He is going to question you on that. And i got to say, the last thing I want to do is get to heaven and look my Savior in the eye and say, I was too comfortable with my uh, Sunday afternoon football game or my baseball game. I was too comfortable uh, making sure I didn't get my suit wrinkled or uh, a snotty nose wiped on my dress. I was too comfortable with those things to worry about some boy or girl uh, who uh, was climbing on the bus at my church and how weak they were. The physically, emotionally, socially infirm that exists in our society, they need someone who has their act together in life to step up and say, I'm going to reach down into the community and I'm going to love on someone who is infirmed in their weaknesses. The commandment to love your neighbor. The commandment to deny your own comfort. i got to tell you that uh, uh, there have been uh, times where I was in the bus ministry and then there was that... There was that time where I stepped out of the bus ministry. Maybe it was a transition of ministry or a transition of, of, of locations. And, and I was maybe new to a church and didn't quite have a ministry yet. And I left a Sunday morning schedule where I was up early, out on a bus route, bringing the kids in, getting them in their class, dealing with uh, this boy who fought this boy and this girl who pulled this girl's hair. And then on the bus in the afternoon, it's either freezing cold or hot outside. And man, you get home about 2, 2.30, you sit down, you're starving, and you're raking food down your throat. And then you step out of that schedule. And then you, uh, you you go to a new church and you wake up and you go to church at 9.45. Well, you were leaving at 8.30. Now you're leaving at 9.45. And then you get home from church at 12.30. It's like, this is kind of nice. Boy, I could do this every week. But then as I'm sitting down on the couch with my plate of food and the football game starting, there's this feeling in my stomach of, I, I shouldn't be sitting here. Somewhere... Somewhere within a 25-30 mile radius of me, there's a boy or girl who wished they could have come to church, but mom was too busy working and they didn't have a ride. And here I am, enjoying myself, enjoying the comforts of life, and well, that child might end up in hell one day because I was too busy being comfortable. Number three, the caregiver. The caregiver. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 3. For even Christ pleased not Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Let me give you an A and a B here. Letter A, His self-denial. Letter B, His sacrifice. And just just like A and B, the last point went hand in hand. To love your neighbor and to deny your own comfort. These go hand in hand. Christ is our example. Now, i got to say this morning that strong and weak are relative terms. My daughter, uh, up until about a month ago, she believed with all her heart that her dad was the strongest man on the planet. You said to her, hey April, who is the strongest man you know? My daddy. And i got to say, my heart swelled. 
Now, I know that if I got an arm wrestling contest, I'd probably come in last place, right? But my little girl believed I was the strongest man. You say, well, what changed your daughter's mind? Well, we took her to the circus, and this big Mongolian man came out with his light pole. And he was spinning that thing on his back. And um, um, we left the circus, and we were, on the right, uh, we were on the way home. This was up at the Big E. And my daughter uh, broke the silence in the car. She said to me, Daddy, I said, yes, April. She said, I don't believe you're the strongest man on the earth anymore. I had to pull the car over to the side of the road to wipe the tears out of my eyes. <laughs> Strong and weaker relative, aren't they? Now, you may be strong compared to some of these abused people I've spoke about. But we're all pretty weak and anemic compared to Christ. Verse 3 tells us that Christ pleased not Himself. Don't miss what I'm about to say here. Isaiah 53 tells us that Christ was despised and rejected of men. Why? Why was Christ despised and rejected of men? Because He was bearing my infirmity. Christ was a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. Why? Because He was bearing my infirmity. Isaiah 53 tells us that Christ was a lamb that was led to the slaughter. Why? Because He was bearing my infirmity, my sin. In all the accusations, Isaiah 53 tells us that He opened not His mouth. Why? Because my Jesus was willing to leave the comforts of heaven to robe himself in flesh, be born to peasant parents, live the life of a homeless man so that he could take care of the needs of those around him and ultimately so that he could die in my place for my sins. He is our ultimate example. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can you be honest with yourself as I ask this question? Can you think inwardly? Can you, can you reflect in your heart and see what's there? What if Christ had had your attitude toward the weak? What if Christ had your attitude about hellbound souls? The way that you treat the bus ministry? Well, pastor, I'm... I'm fond of the idea just, just as long as somebody else does it. What if Jesus said, well, God, I, I'm fond of the redemption plan just, just as long as somebody else does it. You know where you and I would be right now? We'd be on our way to hell. You see, somebody has to step up and say, God has been so good to me. God has blessed me to a place where I am, of the humanity around me, I am one of the strong. And I am willing to set aside the comforts of life, that which pleases me. And I am willing to embrace the weak. Number four, we see our compelling, our compelling. 
Look down in verse 4 of Romans 15. The Bible says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Now, underline those words in your Bible if you do that. For our learning. That we through, and then underline these words, patience and comfort. Patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. What does the Bible mean to you? What does the Bible mean to you? Let me ask you a question. I I hope that today this will be a light bulb moment for some of you. Listen closely here. Many view the Bible very, very selfishly. How can that book tell me how I can get to heaven? How can that book tell me that uh, what will give me a better quality life? What will that book tell me about how I can have a happier marriage? How can that book make my kids behave better? How can that Bible give me an advantage that others won't have? Now, the truth is that most people who value the Bible do so truly with a wrong Terrible, selfish motive. The purpose of the Bible and you learning the Bible is not so that you can be better for the sake of you being better. The purpose of the Bible is so that you can be better so that you can reach out and help others who are weaker than you. That's the purpose of the Bible. And it is high time that Christians quit taking a selfish view of this black book right here and say, I'm going to take a selfless book toward it. I'm going to learn the Bible, that which was written before time. I'm going to learn the Bible so that I can show patience and I can show comfort to everybody around me. That's the purpose of this Bible. Listen, sir, your wife needs you to take the Bible and learn it so that you can show patience and comfort in her trials and tribulations. Sir, your children need you to learn the Bible, not for yourself, but so that you can take the Bible and show them patience and comfort while they're growing up and facing the difficulties of life. Uh, The church members that sit in your Sunday school class need you to learn the Bible so you can show patience and comfort to them during their hard time. Our deacons... You need to learn the Bible so that you can show patience and comfort to those in the church that rely on you as their deacon. And uh, We have boys and girls and men and women who live in underprivileged neighborhoods who have been abused by sin for generations and all they know is the life of sin. They're weak in their infirmities and they need some man and some woman who comes on Sunday and takes up space on a pew and goes home and eats a nice meal and, and, and sits down on the couch for an afternoon nap to say, I'm not, I'm willing to deny I my comfort and I'm willing to bear up the weak around me. I'm going to show patience and comfort. Number five, and lastly, we see our charge. Our charge. Look at verse five. It says, They're now the God of patience and consolation. Grant you to be, and there are three charges here. I'm, I'm going to hit them quickly. I have a video I want to show you. Grant you to be like-minded one toward another. Like-minded. That's the first charge, that we be like-minded one toward another. What's that mean? Let me, just, let, me, uh, let me just talk directly to you here for a minute. You know that um, better-than-thou attitude that you have towards someone who smells like sin? That's not being like-minded in Christ. I can't tell you how many bus kids I've sat next to, and it's obvious they haven't taken a bath in about two weeks. You know what a lot of people do? They go sit on the other side of the bus or they get off the bus. I can't tell you how many times I've had to take my wife out shopping on a Monday because her dress or skirt was ruined by a kid on Sunday. 
But you know what the Bible tells us we're to do? We're to be like-minded. We're to be like-minded in Christ. Look at verse 6. That ye may with one mind and one mouth. Here's the second uh, charge. Glorify God. One mind and one mouth. I love the fact that our church, that we're so culturally diverse. I think it's a wonderful thing. I will continue to praise that. But you know what we need to become more of? We need to become more of uh, economically diverse. I love when I look down and see someone who clearly is coming for money. Sitting down next to someone who isn't coming for money. And loving them for who they are. You know what? That's as biblical as it comes. The Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. The third charge here is in verse 7. Wherefore, receive ye one another. There's the third charge. Receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. We're to receive everyone. Now, receiving someone takes a little bit of work. Takes a little bit of work. Now, uh, I have a video I want to show you. I hope you'll sit back and, and watch intently. And this video, you could say, is somewhat of a success, some success stories from the bus ministry where someone who was in a weak position was, several someones were made strong. So, uh, you can roll the video at this time. My husband is the pastor at Emmanuel Baptist in Hagerstown, Maryland. I just want to take a couple of minutes to talk to you about why the bus ministry means so much to me. I was brought up in a single parent home. My mom was very busy working two jobs trying to make ends meet, so church wasn't really a priority in our lives. Um, And then one day a man named Mr. Bob came and knocked on our door and invited me and my sister to ride the bus to church. And it took a few weeks for us to agree to do it, but once we did, um, we loved it. And Mr. Bob was very faithful every Saturday to come by and talk to us and invite us to come to church. And I have to be honest, there were some Saturdays that we would hide from him or we would um, not answer the door because we didn't want to go to church. But no matter what we said to him or no matter what we did to him, he was always so faithful and coming and inviting us to church and we knew that he loved us and he cared about us. Um, The bus ministry really planted a seed in my heart and years later I accepted the Lord as my Savior and I truly believe with all my heart that if it had not been for the bus ministry, if it had not been for Mr. Bob being so faithful every Saturday, I truly believe that I would never have gotten saved. Um, and I just want to encourage you, if the Lord is just is nudging your heart even a little bit to take part in the bus ministry, I would just encourage you to do that. There's just so many children out there that would love to come to church, but they're not able to. And I think the Lord could really change the lives of not only the children, but your life as well. So I hope that you'll consider doing that. Hello, White Oak Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Ernie Merritt, the pastor of Fundamental Baptist Church in Escondido, California. Pastor Lejeune, thank you for allowing me the privilege of sharing my salvation testimony. I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior as a boy of eight through the ministry of Granite Baptist Church and their bus ministry. A Jehovah Witness just left our home 
and the bus workers came and invited my sisters and me to ride the bus. It was there at Granite Baptist Church when Pastor Grammer was the pastor of the church, Pastor Richard Grammer, is where I heard the gospel and believed on Christ and trusted him as my personal savior. After a period of time, my family and I moved around a couple of different places and fell out of church, sadly to say. We later got back into church through the bus ministry of Odenton Baptist Church. Pastor Dave Nicholas was the pastor then. My parents later rededicated their lives to the Lord, and we joined the church. I am so thankful for the important ministry of the local church, and particularly the bus ministry. I would encourage you to prayerfully consider your role in serving in the bus ministry at White Oak Baptist Church. No doubt there is a need for drivers, bus workers, bus captains. I would encourage you to prayerfully uh, consider your role in serving in that ministry. May Jesus continue to bless you all. Yes, I used to drive the bus for White Oak Baptist Church. Six years, past past life. Encouraged me to get involved. They used to come to the house, pick me up, and I said, why not drive yourself? So I had Anderson. He used to be a bus kid. Now he's a youth pastor in California. It was such a blessing. I think everybody should be in the bus ministry. Take a trip. Take a take a day and go out and see what it's like. Get involved, knocking on doors, saying, "Hey, you guys coming to church tomorrow?" Uh, Brother Mike um, Charret used to go. To Trumbull Gardens. Back in the day, we used to call that Bearsley Terrace. Now it's Trumbull Gardens. It was just such a blessing. Bring kids from church, to, from their home to church. Some of them didn't eat, some of them didn't, you know. It's just such an amazing thing. Get involved, people. Save souls. Bring these kids to church. Like Brother Howe said, I'll take the bus ministry. I'll take the buses. Everybody should get involved. Everybody. Krista's testimony isn't working there. I'm sorry about that. Krista, are you in here? She pipes to herself and her husband. Krista's story, I'll just share it with you really quick. Krista was, um, I grew up in a very abusive home, and uh, her, her mom and dad just, uh, just a whole lot of problems, a whole lot of problems. And Krista was actually thrown out of her house at 16 years old, and uh, just thrown out on the street, and a family took her in and adopted her. And shortly after she arrived in that home, actually before she was even thrown out, she was searching and knew that there was a heaven and a hell and knew she wanted to get to heaven but just didn't know how. So she began to read her Bible and just began to ask God to show her the way. Shortly after she began doing that, she was thrown out of her home. A family took her in. And she'd only been living with that family a couple of weeks and a bus worker knocked on the door and invited her and the other children of that home to church. And Krista got on the bus and just a short time later at that church, she was saved. And um, I think she was 16 at the time. So at 18, she graduates high school and she tells the pastor, I want to go to Bible college. 
And he said, what? I had no idea the Lord was working your heart that way. So she climbs in her car all by herself, drives all the way from Georgia to California, and goes to West Coast Baptist College. And there uh, the Lord does a work in her heart. She gets reassurance of her salvation. And a short time later, uh, a short man by the name of uh, David, um, he's our children's pastor, showed some interest in her. They became friends. And uh, then they became uh, more than friends. And they're married now. And God has moved them to this ministry. And uh, those of you that know Krista know that she is just a sweetheart and she is a joy to be around. Just been a great encouragement to so many people. What if that worker had decided he would rather sit on the couch on Saturday than go knock on a door? Janet King wouldn't be the pastor's wife at Emmanuel Baptist Temple. Ernie Merritt would still be just... Another guy on the street, probably, in, in, in Glen Burnie, Maryland. Crystal Levine wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be where she is today. I'm thankful that someone was willing to deny themselves. If I could have Bethany and Brian come up uh, here. Bethany and Brian, come on up, guys. Uh, they, they, they know about this, so I, this isn't catching them off guard. Bethany and Brian ride our buses and have been doing so for a while. And I have asked the two of them. Brian, we'll have you go first. Come on up here and make your way. Brian is going to share with us uh, just his story about how God got him to church through our bus ministry and what it's meant to him in our church. Brian, come on up and just share with the church for a few minutes. Brian. It was on a Saturday. I remember Scarpetti came. It was on a summer I remember he came to to the to my backyard and we were playing. I remember and uh, he asked if we wanted to go to church to this church and um, I was scared. I I'm scared now, right now, <laughs> but. I said yes, and I told my parents I, I wanted to go. And the next day, I did go. <laughs> and here I am now. <laughs> that day, it changed my entire life. Right now, I, I wouldn't be saved. Right now, I wouldn't be baptized. Right now, I wouldn't be who I am. And it was in that very moment that it all changed my life. And it was because Mr. Petty, he, he, he could have not come to my house. He had multiple, there, he could have gone to any place. But he went on my house, he went, he knocked, and he changed my life. Brian, how long uh, how long ago was that? Uh, I was seven at the time. Seven. How old are you now? I'm Fifteen. Fifteen. So he's been coming to our church for eight years on our buses. Bethany. Bethany is a, a sweetheart. I got to lead Bethany's dad to the Lord here recently at his house in Spanish. Bethany's just a sweet sweet young lady, been coming for a while. I got to know her uh, on her way to Hammond, Indiana, back for a youth conference, and what a great time that was. Bethany shared the church her story. Well, <laughs> good morning. 
And um, I've been coming to this church for six years. And um, I remember the day that Scarpetti came. Um, I was with my mother outside for some reason. And um, I saw, like, this big red bus <laughs> pass by. I'm like, I've never seen a bus so bright red. <laughs> and um, um, Mike Scarpetti, he was my seventh grade math teacher. And I saw him. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I didn't expect to see him. And he got off the bus. And he invited me to church, and the following Sunday I went. And uh, it was very, uh, everyone was very welcoming. Um, But before that, I didn't go to church at all. My family didn't either. Um, But but now I'm, I'm saved. I got baptized. And I remember the day, too, that it was um, the beginning of, oh, Wednesday tea night, the very beginning, and um, it was Mrs. Owens that uh, saved me and some other girls at the same night, so, um, yeah, and, um, (laughs) I'm trying to think, Um, I'm really thankful for um, um, Pastor Levine, Dave Levine, and um, Brother John Sanchez and whoever else is in the bus ministry because it's people like them that, um, oh, and of course Mike Scarpetti, because it's people like them that um, come to you and just like me, like people that haven't been, that haven't been going to church or not saved, come to church and get saved and baptized and I'm very thankful. One life being changed, a little at a time, a little at a time. You say, Pastor Lejeune, what can I do to help? Uh, I want to do my part. Um, first thing I'd say today is we need bus drivers. We need bus drivers. We've got these buses out here. The truth is, we don't really have anybody to drive them. And what we're looking for is a team of people who will take uh, one Sunday a month or uh, one, uh, two Sundays a month and either drive to or from or maybe even both. And you can help us with that. You say, but brother, Pastor, Pastor, getting my CDL is difficult. Well, here's what we're committed to do as a church. I had a meeting with my staff this week, and we want to um, make the process as simple for you as possible. We're going to do all the hard stuff, and we're going to set the process up for you where we'll train you, we'll teach you, we'll do most of the paperwork for you where we can. And so the first meeting for that is going to be December 16th. That's a Saturday at 1 p.m. here at the church. You say, who can drive? Well, if you're medically clear to drive, then you can drive. And the other, only other stipulations that you're a member of our church. Now, I'll also say this, that um, um, you, don't, you might be a high heel and makeup kind of girl. There's a lady named Stephanie Hanna in the bus ministry I worked in. Uh, she's a makeup and eye heel kind of girl to the max. She's probably, what, uh, uh, late 30s, early 40s, and she drives a bus every week. There's another young lady named Aubrey uh, Muller. She's 22 or 23. She's about as makeup and high heel as they come. She just got her CDL. So uh, don't think that this is gender specific. You can drive if, and uh, help us with that. Listen, uh, all the love that the bus captain gives and all the work they do is not if there's not a person to get on the bus and drive it. 
And right now, that is our greatest need. The other need we have is for bus workers. We have our bus captains lined up, but we need bus workers, someone who's sitting next to a boy and girl and just show them the love of Jesus. And the third area that uh, you can help us in, you say, Pastor, I can't drive, and right now I can't be a worker, but what can I do? You can pray. You can pray. Down here on the front pews, down here on the altar, and on the Lord's Supper table, we have 120 pictures laid out. We ask that you come and take a picture here in just a moment. That you take that home, one per family. You take that home and you put that up on your refrigerator or maybe you take it to work and put it in a cubicle and you pray for our bus children. You pray that God helps them and guides them and you pray that God helps you to be able to love on them properly. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. How many here this morning say, Pastor... I'm so thankful that Jesus was willing to be led like a lamb to the slaughter and killed. And I can remember a day where I put my faith in His sacrifice on the cross. I know that when I die, that I'm going to go to heaven. If that's your testimony, would you just slip up your hand? That's your testimony. Amen. Most hands were raised. You can put them down. How many here you say, Pastor Lejeune, I don't know that if I were to die, that I would go to heaven. I think I might, but I'm not 100% sure. Or you may flat out say, I just don't know. If, it, if you are less than 100% sure, my friend, the Bible says that you can know that you have eternal life. How? First John 5 says that you believe on the name of the Son of God. The only sin that sends somebody to hell is the sin of unbelief. You don't truly believe that Jesus is your ticket to heaven, His sacrifice on the cross. You can't be saved. You've got to repent, turn from the wrong set of beliefs, and you've got to believe in Jesus. His death, His burial, His resurrection. Is there one here today say, Pastor, if I were to die, I don't know. I don't know that I'd go to heaven. If that's you and you're here today, getting to heaven is very simple. Having your reservation for heaven, knowing that your name has been written down, so you can have interest to heaven is really simple. You must understand that you're a sinner. That your sin is wrong before a holy God. But that God loved you so much that he was willing to send down his only begotten son. You see, going to heaven isn't about a religious denomination. It's about believing that Jesus lived, he suffered, and he died for you. And that because of your sin, you can't get into heaven except for his sacrifice. You understand that he died for you, and then you call on his name. You call on his name. The Bible says that you've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10 says you've got to call on his name. If you're here today and you haven't done that, let me just encourage you to pray a very simple prayer. And this prayer is it's not magic. It, it's more of an expression of what ought to be in your heart. If you do believe that Jesus is your way to heaven and you want to put your faith in that, Would you just repeat this prayer after me from where you're sitting at? Just say, under your breath, just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know my sin is wrong. I repent from my unbelief. And I choose Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Give me that gift of eternal life. And take me to heaven when I die. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, I'd like to rejoice with you. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just slip up your hand quickly up and down?
so I can see that you did that. Is there one? Is there one? Say, Pastor, I pray that prayer with you today. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, through your message today and through the testimony of the children and those on the screen, God has really touched my heart and I can do more. I can do more. Would you would you pray for me that I'll make those commitments? I'll make those adjustments. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? I can do more. I can do more. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to follow through. Lord, whether it's picking up the prayer aspect or even beyond that. Help us today, Lord, to commit to exactly what you're leading us to do. Help us to be faithful in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Could I encourage everybody here today, whether you usually walk the aisle or not, will you at least come and take a picture? Take that back to your seat. Take that home with you. And pray over that child all year long. Maybe you want to take that picture and then after a moment when others have collected theirs, come back to the altar and kneel and pray for them right now. Some of them are stacked too deep, so make sure you're only taking one picture.